0: Good morning, everybody. Um, Father, thank you for this opportunity to just speak um, Holy Spirit, even as we 've been praying that you would fill this room Father, we thank you Holy Spirit. we ask that you would fill my mouth and that everything that I would say would be that which you 've chosen for your people to hear in Jesus name amen so um, i'm I'm going to talk about something that 's been very Heavily on my heart recently. It's really nice because I got licensed today we, to step out of Joshua and just do something different. Um, it is Pentecost, so I will I will speak about the fifth, the fiftieth, the fiftieth, the fiftieth day um, from from Easter um, and try and link it in. But what I really want to talk about is is the kingdom of God, kingdom come. There's been um, obviously it's quite topical recently. There's a coronation of a king. Um, and um, I, I'm i from a small East African country called Uganda. Um, there are apparently 56 distinct tribes in Uganda. My, my people are the Baganda. Um, it's the large tribe after whom the country is named, the Baganda the Uganda. Those are the tribes. The Baganda have always had a king, always, and... Um, well before the British turned up in the name of their own sovereign and instituted colonialism, we we had our own kings. Um, At the time we gained independence from the British, our then king, Kabaka Mutesa, Kabaka means king in Luganda, we don't say king, we say Kabaka. Um, Kabaka Mutesa, he then became the first president of Uganda, the state of Uganda. Soon after that though, because of course it's African politics, there was a coup and um, he got overturned and thrown out, and he was exiled from from the country, and there was an abolishment of all traditional kingdoms. And so not only did he have to leave, he couldn't be king um, of his people. And he was abolished, and he, he went to the UK. He came here to the UK, and he stayed here. He raised his family here. Um, they were entirely privileged. Don't feel too sorry for them. They're Because of their old links with the crown, Um, You know, all the king's kids were educated at the best schools in Britain, um, spread out all over the country. And I'll explain that in a minute. The king died, um, believed murdered um, in 1969, and his son became the king while still in exile. You should know, however, that it wasn't the first son. In the Baganda kingdom and the Baganda culture, the first son of the king is never, ever heir to the throne. It's too obvious. He's a target. The first son is always the head of the family. He's in charge of looking after the family of the king. But he's never, ever heir to the throne. The king's other children, and the king is encouraged in true African tradition to have as many children as he can have, spread out from whoever, whatever wife, whatever woman he can find. The king is encouraged to have many children, and out of those other sons, The heir is picked. And the heir is not picked by the king, although he can propose a child of his. The heir is picked by the Rutikiro, which is the the council. And the heir is picked because they observe the children of the king and they look at the one who they think has the best characteristics and should become the next king. These children don't live together. They're all spread out because, of course, there's a danger. One of them, if, they're not, if you know if you're not the first son, you could become the heir. And so there's a possible threat to your life. So they spread them out. And each of them, usually with their mothers, will get sent out to different parts of the kingdom. In the UK, when they came here, they all got spread out to different parts of the UK. This is what actually happened. All different parts. And what happens is the one who is chosen to be heir during the reign of the king is given a special piece of bark cloth. Bark cloth is a, is, a, is a type of material very special to the Baganda people. It's made from the bark of the banana tree, which is not really a tree. And so it's not really bark. The badana is a herbaceous plant which just has a thickened woody stem. And so if you strip it, it's very fibrous. And those fibres are woven together to make a cloth. It always, they always dye it. It looks like this colour here. This skirt's from Uganda, by the way. It's one of my favourite skirts. But it looks like this, the bark cloth, and it's used for all sorts of ceremonial things. And I would show you photos, but, you know, there's no projection today. Also, I wasn't quite organised, but anyway, I would show you <laughs> photos. Um, but the, the the bark cloth, the king's son is given a piece, the one who's chosen. And he's the only one who knows that he's got it. Him and the Reticulo, the council, they know who he is. And when the king dies, and all the children are called in from wherever they are, and they come to bury the king, and as he's laying in state, and the children come, one of them will bring out the bar cloth and lay it over their dad, and everyone will know that he is the new king. That's how it works. That's how it's always worked. And in 1971, two years after he died, the king of Buganda was, his body was taken back. It was the only chance they could get to take the body back to the kingdom of Buganda and he was buried in the ancestral burial ground of the kings of Buganda and his son Ronald Mutevi, our current Kabaka, pulled out his bark cloth and laid it over his dad and everybody knew that he was the king. He was still in exile and after he buried his dad he had to come back to the UK. This guy went to you know he's been educated in all sort of fancy places I don't think he went to Eton. I think his dad went to Eton. I think he went to Cambridge or, I don't know, and some fancy schools in between. Um, In 1993, there was a political agreement that the traditional kingdoms would be restored. And in 1993, at age 15, I was 15 years old, I was told that the most momentous thing in the history of life was occurring. I was told that the Kabaka was returning to Uganda and there would be a coronation of the new king of Buganda. This was a big deal, it was a big deal. In my house, it was a big deal. We were living in Nairobi, we were living in Kenya because um, we uh, I grew up as a refugee from the war in Uganda. So I was living in, in Kenya, but we were going back. We had a personal invitation, my family, because I've got a couple of connections to the royal family. All Africans have connections to the royal families. Trust me, there's always a way. There's always a way. If there's a royal family, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we were. <laughs> there's a long story. I have a couple, and um, and uh, is is. It... I'll explain that in a bit. But the point is, it was a big deal when when we went to Uganda that holiday. I remember it was July. The, the coronation was on the thirty first of July, nineteen ninety three. It was July, it was the summer holidays, so we all got, we went to Uganda, in the days leading up, there's lots of exciting things, lots of events, lots of family get-togethers, lots of royal events, some you, you got invited to, some you didn't, um, but one day we just went to the bank, my mum, my aunt and me went to the bank, and we're at the bank, and I'm 15, I was very bored, they were signing something in some cubicle, there's a lovely bank, like you come in and there's like a big wide foyer area and, and sort of some tills on the side, and And then there's some wooden screening on one side. I remember we were like one of the first booths here and um, I was properly bored, you know, 15. My body was still trying to work out what it was doing. My face was full of zits. My mouth was full of attitude, (laughs) subdued (laughs) attitude. I'm still an African. You can't can't just be snapping it out. And um, all of a sudden, we're just standing there and everybody falls to their knees. It was, like, really cool. It was, like, first I thought, are we getting robbed. But it was too beautiful. It was, like, it was, everyone fell to their knees facing outwards. So it was, like, a fanning out. And everyone just fell to the ground like this. Except me. I was just going, "Hey, What's going on? Uh, Obviously, my mom pulled me down. And I'm down. And I'm, like, what's going on? She's, like, shh. And I just hear the clack, clack, clack of footsteps. Expensive shoe Footsteps. A smell, this beautiful fragrance of an expensive perfume. And I kind of look, and I, of course I kind of looked, right? And there's this man in this beautiful suit, look, really handsome. And he comes and he stops in the foyer. and He's standing, my mum and my aunt and me were crouched round about there. And he, he said, muchava, Which means, how are you ladies? That's all it meant. Oh my days. Hey, we didn't hear the end of that, how are you ladies? He spoke to us. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, he says this. Everyone's like answering, yes, Savasajjah, yes, Savasajjah. Uh, in Uganda, when you greet a man, you, you, in Uganda, in the Baganda culture, we always give people titles. So um, a man is always civil, which is like sir. But he, the king, is not civil. He is "sabasaja," which is like sir of all men. So they're all going, "Is sabasaja? Is sabasaja?" I've never heard this term before. I was thinking, what? Anyway, this man gives a sort of polite nod to everyone, seemed really nice actually, and then he just walked off to the side, up some secret staircase, and then life was restored. Everyone stood up, and my, my aunt said, oh, no! my mom, they were like, I was thinking, what is wrong with you people? Anyway, so it was a, my point is, it was a big deal. The king was back. Like, we've seen him, he's on the ground. And we, there was a big coronation, it happened, and because of um, one of my connections to the king, We got a special invite, and apart from the the actual coronation, we couldn't really see anything. It was too hot. We were kind of to the side. The family were in this section, so we couldn't really see very much. And all the people were there, and I'll show you pictures, but there's no projection. All the people were there, and the king was wearing this massive, big um, bark cloth tunic, and then on top of it, he has a leopard skin a real leopard skin which sits on his shoulder and then he has a traditional crown and after that there's another service which is um, from the from the Anglican church in Uganda where he has another red robe and a different crown and uh, it's all this happening and then afterwards there's this big party at the palace and we got invited to have an audience with the kabaka. Um, so it was pretty cool um, because the king, when he was in exile, he was raised by his mum, who then died quite early on. And his mother's right-hand woman, best friend, confidant, raised him, finished raising him. And she was my great-aunt. And so because of that, our family, my mother's side, have had this privilege. Okay, we, His auntie Rose, my Jaja Rose, she's now dead, but at the time she was uh, very much alive, so we were very much privileged and we get to go in and we had this audience and different parts of my family got to go in and when you have an audience with the king it's this big hall and you get to he's sitting on the throne and there's a couple of bodyguards and you walk in quiet room can hear your footsteps and you stand in front of him and then you have this audience and he speaks to you and it's you know pretty boring stuff he says hello and then he says this thing in the tradition of Obaganda he says Gwani. Gwani sounds a little bit, those of you who are Marvel fans and have watched Black Panther, you'll remember the phrase Ungubani. You know, Ungubani, when they pull out their lip and then you see the blue tattoo and and they start to say who they are. Gwani means who are you? And they start to say who they are and the way you do it in Baganda culture is you say your name, all your names, you say the clan that you come from, you say the name of your father, you say the name of your mother and the clan she comes from because that's not your clan. Your clan is your father's clan. So this is what happened. I go then it was my brother next and then it was my mum. And I go first and he says to me gwani and I said nze nam soke naduko nedirakatinvuma tata wange ye john sekaja sekaba mama wange ye agatha sembajwe. And he said, cool. Said a couple of other things. How was school? Yeah, great. Then he moves on. Then it was my brother. Now, this is where it got interesting. This little pipsqueak of a little brother, he would have been 11 then, really skinny, really annoying. You know, I'm 15, he's 11. Like, literally, he's so annoying. He turns up, and remember I said there's a second reason? why I'm... Connected to the king. My brother and I have different fathers. My brother's father is from the clan of Umpologoma, which means the lion. This is the clan from which the original kings descended from. And you can tell someone's clan from their name. And so my brother opens his mouth when he's asked Gwani and he says, Nze kudra, chikure, kalema, owe Mpologoma." And the king almost fell off his seat. And he leaned forward and he said, Eh, you are a prince. That's what he said to my brother. And I'm thinking... <laughs> <laughs> but it is true. My brother carries in him the bloodline of the kings. True as true. He's got the paperwork to prove it. And from that point on, actually not quite from that point on, in his adulthood, he's certainly capitalized on it. <laughs> He, um, my brother is an entrepreneur, he's an engineer, but he's doing all sorts of crazy things for the country. There's something about him. We grew up, as I said, we grew up in Kenya. But this boy has always been a little bit, you know, outside our house, we used to have like all these stones and you could run out. You know when you've got gravel, but it's like that really big stone gravel that's not comfortable. And whenever you wanted to get away from my brother, you would run onto the stones because he was always like, eh, eh. A bit princess and the pea. Literally, he's always been like that. Always a bit precious. He is always well turned out. I'll show you pictures, but there's no projection. He's always looking good, this boy. Simba knows. He's always on point. There's something about the way he carries himself and always has done. Always. And now in adulthood, he's doing all these ventures with different people. He meets all sorts of people. And a few days ago when I was preparing this, I Googled my brother's name. I've never Googled him before. I know him. I Googled him Kudra Kalema and Google prompted Prince Kudra Kalema. <laughs> That's what it said. And I was like, what? And I clicked on it and there he was in all his glory. He's at galas in a attacks with some woman and then he's at the same gala with some other woman. And then there's all these, and then there's all these pictures of him as, you know, Pioneering this and blah, blah, blah. my little pipsqueak brother, Mulangira, a prince, walks like it, talks like it, acts like it. He knows it. He knows it. There's something about a royal bloodline there's authority, there's power. In one particular kingdom, very far removed from Buganda, There are royals who similarly have inherited an authority and a power. The kingdom of God is wherever God's sovereign rule is expressed. That's where the kingdom is. There's no geographical location. The Bible doesn't describe or give a definition of what the kingdom of God is. But we know it's wherever the rule, the reign and the dominion of the Lord is. In the beginning, there's a sovereign creator who is outside and apart from all of his creation. And he chooses to create in his image those that are fit to rule. They're fit to rule because they're in his image. But they fit to rule under his sovereign rule. He gives stewardship and dominion of the earth to man. We hear this in Genesis. He does not ever rescind or take back that dominion. It is ours. It belongs to man. We were created to be in complete submission to God, but to take dominion over that which is given and rule it. That's, That's who we are. God says, let us, us being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, Not a physical, but a spiritual personality and moral likeness. Obviously, this is from the Amplified, hence the extra words. Let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over the entire earth, and over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them and gave them dominion. But it didn't last long. Adam, Eve, serpent, etc. We all know the story, job done. Dominion is not taken away, but the fruitfulness of this dominion is marred because of an alliance with darkness. And only from moving out of that kingdom of darkness back in to the kingdom of light can we break Satan's influence. Early biblical kingdoms looked for glory and renown. We heard of Babel early on, Egypt, as well I won't go into it but there's a deliberate depiction within the word of god of man under a rule that is not god's rule that's we know what it looks like sin does its thing as it does in families it does in kingdoms it tears down it destroys but all through biblical history there's a promise of, an, of a new kingdom a different kingdom whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. These were the words of the prophet Nathan to David, speaking of what the words of God to him were. The plan of God is to determine a divine king over a divine kingdom that will last for eternity. And we see a promise of a coming king of Judah and the arrival of the incarnate Christ fulfills the promise, God becomes man. Remember God's plan is for man to rule. And this man will be the everlasting king unlike any king ever known, perhaps because he was lowly, poor, came in pretty dodgy circumstances. But also angels sang to announce his arrival. You know, indeed he's unlike any king ever known. You know, the, in, in, in the Buganda culture, when the king dies and a new king is to come, there's some drums that are played. It's a weird kind of spiritual thing about a spiritual king and very paganistic, and we won't talk about that too much. But there's drums that are played in Ngoma. They play them and there's a sound, there's a particular tribe that is designated to play the drums. The spiritual drums, there's no, you can't just come up and play the drums. You, you have to be, the same way you had like Levites who did this and in Buganda there's different camps, there's a, there's a tribe that is, that is a, there's a clan, sorry not, cl- not tribe, clan. There's a clan that is born to just look after the throne. There's a clan that is born to just look after the health of the king. There's a clan that is born to look after the food of the king and grow the food. They're the farmers that feed the king and there's a clan that just plays the drums. So, they, these guys are only busy when somebody dies or oh, when they do come. But they, they play the drums to say that the king has died and a new king is come. In Lion King, we heard it. I love that so much. You can tell I've practiced. Lion King, man. Simba's born, the animals gather, they all pay tribute. The king is raised up. It's an incredible thing. I love it because it reminds me so much of my culture, the way people just, the king comes, people just bow. You know, when this king turns up in his throne, men lay prostrate, and this is very typical in African cultures. None of this kind of like, you know, curtsy before, nothing. Lie down, body down, face to the ground. You are not worthy. This is what happens. This king, his birth was marked by a proper astrological phenomenon. There's this star in the sky and thousands of actual angels fill the sky and sing. Forget Rafiki's song. This is incredible. This is incredible. This this man that would be king and he was grown up to just be a simple bloke who wandered about in a total area no bigger than Wales, apparently. All of Jesus' travels really just didn't take him very far, just that little section And he didn't grab or take anything unlike some familiar monarchs we know. Didn't take any spices or tea or precious stones or gold or people, sorry. He took nothing. He just submitted to the will of the Father. That's all he did. He learns how to submit because his future is to rule. I'll say that again. He learns how to submit because his future is to rule. There's a requirement to submit before you can rule. standard. Every monarch knows that. Mutebi held the bark cloth for years before he was revealed as king, and then he waited another 22 years before he was coronated. Coronated? Before his coronation. Do you get coronated? Okay, good, thank you. David was anointed as a shepherd boy well before he took the throne. Jesus' baptism was his anointing for kingship well before his death and resurrection and well before his then ascension to the throne. This king to be, he moves in perfect obedience. Jesus understands that he is the messianic king. He knows himself. He goes to his death, defeating the powers of Satan and bringing through a new humanity, not under the power of darkness anymore. This is a big deal. God's intention is that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that this Jesus, the crucified, the resurrected, the obedient Christ, is Lord. Daniel says, I saw... In the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's Daniel 7, verse 13 to 14. In Acts 1, we see the dead and risen Jesus after 40 days of time spent with his disciples ascending to the heavens. Jesus himself called himself the son of man. And according to that glorious prophecy in Daniel, this son of man is ascended to the throne. It's happened. The rule of God is being established. Kingdom is come. Whew. And then something incredible happens. About 10 days later, 40 plus 10 equals 50. 50 days from Passover, Pentecost, meaning 50th in the Greek, festival of the Shavuot, which is what the Hebrews called it. Um, it was when um, the, 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 the new bread is offered from the harvest, um, 50 days from the end of Passover, the first, the day of first fruits, which is the end of the Passover. It's funny that Jesus is called the first fruit, isn't he? So he arises the first fruit. It's so good. The Bible is so clever. First fruit, end of Passover, he dies, arisen, first fruit. 50 days later, here we are, and something happens. The God who had always intended for those that were his own to have access. Wow. That a, is a crazy story. It goes on, it ends up with Peter having to stand and explain to everyone in this incredible sermon how he explains everything. The history, the Christ, the Spirit and the new kingdom. And now as we stand, although we still look forward to the return of Christ and his rulership over the earth, Christ's ascension made it possible for the Spirit to come and make his home with us. Because of Pentecost and the ascension of Christ, we get to live in the authority that was intended for us all along. Because of Pentecost, God is with us. Christ's power and authority are bestowed upon us. His kingdom is here. And yet to come. It's hearing and yet to come. The Holy Spirit here with us now provides like a bridge between this present time and the future kingdom of God. His presence is expressed in and through the body of Christ, the church, us, we who have inherited the bloodline. Hmm. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is Colossians, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is what comes with the Holy Spirit. So as you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. Mel talked about the fruit of the Spirit this morning. Increasing in the knowledge of God. This is what it looks like. Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. He's qualified you you've got the bark cloth. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. It's awesome. The response required is repentance, submission to the new king, our king isn't dead. We don't just lay bark cloth over him and take over. He is risen. He is alive. We are in complete submission to him. But yet, we have been given, distributed straight from heaven authority, power, equipping. The day of Pentecost saw a reversal of the wickedness of Babel. Tongues, different languages were distributed, but this time in order resulting in a unification under Christ, as well as an equipping of the saints to take the gospel to the ends of the known world. Nothing was random, yeah? People from 3000 people came to Christ on that day. And these people were not just guys that just hung out in Jerusalem. They're people who came from the ends of the world. They happened to be there at that time, celebrating the festival of Shavuot. They were Jews, they knew something, they didn't know all of it. And then they, the truth is revealed. They come to know Christ and in their languages, in each of their languages, the gospel is told, the mighty works of God are told and they can then go back to all their places. And it's like efficient to the max. It's just incredible. Just like that, Jesus only walked the space of Wales but when the holy spirit came poo, hmm, under the banner and direction of the lord jesus we take ground back to joshua we take ground as never seen before geographically spiritually joshua ascended out of the rivers the waters of the jordan to take ground Yeah, our Yeshua, he ascended to the heavens, sent us the person of the Holy Spirit to equip us with that power, which is his, so that in his name, we too can take ground. It is awesome. I'll keep saying it because it is. Jesus said to Simon Peter once, um, he said, you have the keys to the kingdom. This is, this is what happened. Jesus was asking them, who do you say I am? And, and Simon Peter declared out loud, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. My father who is in heaven has. There is a something that happens. The spirit works with us so that we're able to confess the Christ. Even that is not our own. It's revealed to us and we're able to confess the Christ. And he says to Peter that you, I will build my rock on this church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so he says to anyone who would declare him Christ. Keys are about access. We have the keys to the kingdom. We can get in. We can. We can unlock the power of God. We can unlock joy and peace and righteousness and love and healing and fullness. Jesus says he will build the church. We need to not f- focus on building the church. He will build the church. We just need to concentrate on unlocking the kingdom. He says, upon, I will build my church, but I've given you the keys to the kingdom. Binding and loosing is bigger than fighting demons. It's way bigger than that. It's declaring powerful stuff because you have the authority to do so and choosing to live and operate spiritually as ones who have, through this royal bloodline, authority. It is us declaring, sorry, I've said the same line again. It is us recognising that we actually have authority. You know, this is a big thing recognizing B. Kudra, this boy he knew. He walks around like this. If you meet my brother, he's lovely. He's a people's man. He can get on with everyone. He can talk about everything. He's also a bit of a snob because he knows. He knows who he is. Don't be a snob, but recognize what you have, the authority that you have. You can determine what you will allow in and what you will not allow in in your home, in your school, in your workplace. You can do that. You can do that. It should change the way we approach relationships, finances, everything in the spiritual realm. We have been made very rich in Christ, very rich with every spiritual blessing. This stuff, renew them in our day, make that in our time, make them known to us. We should be seeing his deeds, We should be able to sing about it every day. Look what God did, look what God did, look what God did. We're seeing some of it now, but oh my gosh, there is more. There is so much more. When we minister to one another, when we battle our enemies, the flesh, the world, the the devil, when we pray for the sick, when we ask for provision, all of it we should do knowing who we are knowing we are equipped with the same power that moved through Jesus. Kingdom culture, the the kingdom of God is also the kingdom of heaven. All our norms, our values, our beliefs should reflect the culture of heaven. We need to be like Jesus, in submission to God at all times, but recognizing that that same God has restored us to a place where we can take authority. There should be nothing and no one on earth that should intimidate us. No one. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet but when it says all things are put in subjection it is plain that he has accepted those who put all things in subjection under him. Sorry tricky words needs a bible study. But here it is it says when all things are subjected to him then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. What this is saying is Jesus at the end will hand back the entire kingdom back to the Father. There's still a headship. He's still in submission. And even as he takes control over everything, when it is all said and done, he will hand the kingdom back to the Father. Through Jesus, man in Christ has taken back the rule, taken back dominion, a church militant, strong in its authority, strong in faith, pushing back the enemy on a mission, taking the Great Commission seriously, loving and blessing and walking as Christ, we will gather more and more enemies under his feet. We will do it. We will. And when all his enemies are under his feet, then his kingdom will be fully established. Jesus says, when he teaches us how to pray, he says, pray your, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom is come, but he's asking us to pray that his kingdom will come. What should our level of expectation be? How much kingdom is now? How much is not yet? How do we articulate what we expect from God? Those of us where we're living between the now and the not yet. What we do is that we expect the real thing now. But not all of the real thing now. There remains an expectation of the age to come. The way I see it, we, there is an encroaching darkness that we can see and hear and feel all around us. We're not blind to it, we see it. But we battle through victorious, secure in his sovereignty. We hold our heads high as those who know their inheritance, their lineage and their bloodline. Guani. Guani, who are you? Speak it, know it, live it. Amen. Amen. Amen? Amen. I will pray. It's a requirement of the preacher to pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth the truth that there is a kingdom come. The truth that, Lord Jesus, you are ascended to the throne and you sit at the right hand of the Father. The truth that you've called us and that we're seated with you in high places, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We thank you for the truths that when the Holy Spirit came, we were equipped with the power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, is ours. We thank you that we've been filled with the authority of Christ. We praise you, Lord, because this was your plan all along. This is your intention that we would have dominion over that which is given to us. So, Father, we pray that you would empower us now that we would take dominion. Father, that we would take dominion over that which you've given us that we would pray for the sick and see them healed, that we would pray for the lost and see them come home, that we would pray for fullness of life and see it come to pass, and the extension of your gospel to the ends of the world. Empower us, Father, to take ground as you have directed. It is indeed a great commission But the one who sends us is so great. And Lord, we know, we know, trusting in your sovereignty, that we are up to the task. So Father, as you've sent us, may we go. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.